even in this time today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I was meeting with uh, some friends this week at the Hive, uh, Isau and uh, Oliver, and we were talking over the idea of understanding God. So pretty minimal, you know, subject kind of stuff, right? Pretty easy to get through. Um, but we were really talking about how do we experience God in our lives, and we we're looking at different scriptures and, and trying to understand that. And the dominant imagination that we were coming up with that, that all three of us were really kind of thinking through was, it was kind of pronounced in our conversation, was to know God uh, was very kind of in person, it was, it was in personal individualist kind of terms, right? Like, I know God through my prayer life, or I know God through, you know, things that he's done in my life, or I know God through when I read the Bible, and that kind of an idea. Does that make sense? That kind of a language of knowing God. And then at one point, Isaiah shared that to know God is actually a, a bit difficult because we can't see God in flesh, right? We can't experience him in flesh. And and that's a point that I think many of us have felt on some level throughout our own journeys spiritually. We're continuing this series called Being, and we're, we're taking several weeks to kind of discuss the idea of what does it mean to be human? Who is God in our lives? How do we relate to God uh, in our minds, in our joys, in our relationships, in our vocation? And today I have the very small task of presenting a conversation on who God is, right? Richard Rohr, he wrote this. He said, remember, mystery isn't something that you cannot understand. It's something that you can endlessly understand. There is no point at which you can say, I've got it. Always and forever, mystery gets you. Don't you love that? When I think about the task of trying to explain God to another human being, I first have to start with just the complete stupidity of that assignment, right? Like that, that I could somehow explain God to you is a pretty high assumption. I have a hard enough time explaining myself, right? My wife will tell you the difficulties I have with explaining myself. I didn't know once you got married how much a husband would have to explain himself, his thoughts, his inner thing. And I've had to learn, still learning much about how to explain myself. So to explain God is this really high idea. Now, God for sure is beyond our understanding in his totality. He wouldn't be much of a God if we could explain him, right? Like if, if, if we could say who he is in definite terms, he's probably more some sort of an idol, some sort of a higher moral being that's cast in the image of us right, who agrees with our sexual ethics and our views on identity or war or nationalism or relationships or whatever, right? But if we're to seek God in a way where we're truly trying to relate to this mystery of who God is, we have to surrender to the mystery of God as the creator. Are you with me so far? Yes? Okay, good. All right. From the kind of point of view of our post-enlightenment world, right, we, we have a hard time with that idea. That God, ultimately, there is a part of him that is unknowable, unsearchable, and mysterious. Because from Plato to Descartes to Malcolm Gladwell, we think things should be able to be broken down into small, rational, logical bits and understood. And we love when things are that way. 
Uh, so we determine, in our way of thinking about God, we determine theories on morality or theories on atonement or theories on the Trinity. And not that theories are bad necessarily, but they don't actually explain who God is. Theories tend to have a more, a, a way of shrinking down the size of something into really specific definitions. Do you know what I'm talking about? And in the West, we've kind of done this. We've made God primarily more of a rational pursuit with really the sermon is kind of the centerpiece of our worship on Sundays. When we think about going to church, we often think about the sermon. What will be said? What will my mind have to process today? Will it be good? Um, Will it be something that tickles my brain a little bit, like a good TED talk? Are you with me? We grade Sunday services kind of on our experience of the sermon. Oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, that wasn't that great of a sermon. Or I like that preacher. Oh, I've heard that one before. The problem we have isn't that we're, it's actually the problem that we have is that we're primarily not rational creatures. I hate to break it to you, right? You know you're not rational because there are a million things that you do that you know you shouldn't do, but you still do, Right? There are things you shouldn't eat, and yet you're like, I just got to eat it. I don't know why. I know it's bad for me. I know it's going to make me feel bad afterwards, but right now, this McDouble is just calling my name, right? Whatever it is, right? Our appetites, really, and this is how the biblical authors understood how we make decisions. They really understood that it wasn't based on our rationale. This is why you don't see anywhere in Scripture a categorical breakdown of who God is. You don't see anywhere in scripture these theories of how to understand God. You don't ever see those because we're desiring creatures. James K. Smith, he points out in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, that Victoria's Secret actually understands the human condition better than the church. Because why? Because Victoria's Secret depicts a good life, a story of a good life in these beautiful women in scant clothing. And where do they show this good life to? They show it in the middle of football commercials on Sundays, right? This is how modern marketing sells things. You're looking at an instant rice commercial, but it's really about a two, two couples who are falling in love. I have this game that I play with my kids where we turn the commercials when we watch TV, we turn the commercials on mute and we play the game of what are they trying to sell us? And we just try to guess, what are they trying to sell us based on what we're seeing, right? And often it's a cooing woman or a, you know, there's like these shampoo commercials with these you know, erotic things that are happening when she's washing her hair, right? As you're like, what's happening? I never had an experience where I washed my hair like that. <laughs> Why? Because marketing understands we're not rational creatures, we're desiring creatures. And so to understand God, it's actually a a little bit more of a mystery. I think we're not going to try to understand God through a doctrine of atonement or through some sort of theory. The Bible offers none of those, but what we are going to try to understand God is through a story. And the Bible offers plenty of stories because God knows we're created as narrative creatures. And where theories tend to shrink things down into very simple categories, stories tend to expand our imagination. We can go back and read the same parable over and over and over, and year after year, sermon after sermon, quiet time after quiet time, you're getting new insights. It's opening up your imagination. My professor says stories have a surplus of meaning to them. And so we're gonna try to understand 
Jesus through a story today because this is how the Bible does it. And what we're going to do is we're going to read a story and then we're going to talk about it together. So there's an interactive part of Sunday today. What you're going to do is I'm going to read this story to you and I want you and you can, depending on how you operate, if you're more of a, uh, you know, uh, you, you like to read the words or you like to list your auditory learner or you're, you're, you need to read to really grasp something, you can open your eyes, close your eyes, whatever, but we're going to read a, a passage here. It's 17 verses, it's a longer story. We're going to read a passage and I want you just to let it soak into your imagination, the scene, the setting, the smells, what's happening. And then I want you to be kind of checking along the way because this is what you're going to share with one person next to you. All the introverts right now are panicking. I promise this will not be a, this will not be a, a torturous experience. You're going to share what surprised you about the story of God as you heard or read this. Does that make sense? And when you are, when someone shares their, their, their in a sentence or two, and we got to keep it brief. We can't like go into like this, thesis on God based on our reading of this, but just in a brief statement, what, what surprised you about the nature of God as you heard or read this? You're going to share that with somebody right next to you, and that person has to listen and not, not interrupt, and they can't respond, and they can't go, oh, man, me too. They just have to listen and thank you, and then they get to share theirs, and you have to listen and not interrupt and, not, and, and just thank them. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to read. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, the person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. The whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And this is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm going to let you sit with that for just a few seconds.
And I want you to, with a friend, someone close by, um, answer the question, what surprises you about how Jesus displays God in this story? And so just take a moment. Two people. You're going to listen well, and then you're going to share briefly, and they're going to listen well. Sound good? Go for it. My kids watched Karate Kid for the first time yesterday. And they immediately, as soon as Karate Kid was over, which I just got to tell you for, young, for parents with young kids, I didn't know how much, you know, uh, Daniel in Karate Kid, he curses a lot. So just kind of FYI, right? Anyways, I'm like, oh, those are bad words. Oh. So anyways, um, <laughs> Karate Kid, right? They watch Karate Kid. What do they do immediately after watching the story of Karate Kid? They go out in the living room and they're just practicing crane kicks. They're like this. I've got video of them. They're just like, whoa, you know, they're going after each other. Now, if I would have sat down and told them the story of Karate Kid and explained to them, you know, the history of, of the origins of karate and who some of the founding teachers were and what their philosophies and theories were that they were trying to implement into the culture through this martial art practice, do you think they would have been practicing crane kicks afterwards? They needed to see the story. They needed to have an experience together in the story. And then they went out and practiced that story. Does that make sense? 1 John chapter 4, in verse 7, he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Try explaining love in theory. You can't. But when you embody and experience love, you know love. When we sat together at the hive and, and uh, Isaiah shared about this, you know, not seeing God in flesh, I, I pointed to Oliver. And I said, Oliver, after a 12-hour shift in a hospital, which is not an easy shift to have, after a 12-hour shift, made time to come and sit and understand and listen and share and then even after I had to leave early, well, early, after about an hour and a half of talking, I had to leave. They still sat and talked, and Oliver gave more time. And I said, this is God. This is how we see God. When we experience love, when we give love, when we serve, Jesus says, you're blessed to then know God. 
And this is why we tell the story of communion each Sunday. This is why we actually practice, we display the story together. And this is not, it's, it's a, communion is an interesting thing to study because it's evolved from a dinner table where we'd break bread and pass it to one another and pass a cup and pass the food over to that side of the table to that person and bring a chair up. It, it moved from that to this little flavorless piece of bread or I don't even know what that is. It might not even be bread. I think it's gluten-free, so it's not even bread to this really not great tasting juice in this little cup. It moved from this communal embodied experience of loving one another to this personal individualist Jesus that we sit and we reflect on our own lives and our own story with Jesus. And it lost the display of the story of God's love. Are, am I, are you tracking me? And so today, I want you to do this as we prepare to take communion. I want you to give your communion cup to somebody next to you. And I want you to look them in the eyes and I want you to say, thank you for showing me God. And then we'll pray and we'll take communion. So go ahead, pass your communion to somebody. Let's take communion. You can take the bread that represents Jesus' body together. And we can take the blood that represents the covenant that we've made with him together. Let's pray. Father, thank you.